G'day everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Scale HQ podcast. I have got an absolutely fabulous founder for you to listen to today. Um, still scaling it on the way up, but doing an absolutely awesome job. has been going for 14 years. And one of the things that I'm really excited about in today's episode is, you know, I'd, whilst I don't unpack the principles all the time, I certainly have um, in the past in, in relation to strategy. What makes up good strategy? You know, how do you build medium-term competitive advantage by, by, choo- by really thinking about it carefully and choosing a couple of things to double down on and invest in that aren't going to give you immediate payoff, but in three to five years are actually going to set you up really well versus the market that you play in to have a stronger moat around the business, a stronger ability to compete, a better business model, a more scalable business model, a more valuable business model. And that's exactly what Rowan from Art of Smart um, has done. It's a education business, it's tutoring, um, you know, it's a sort of K to 12 tutoring business plus study skills and a whole bunch of other things. Uh, I think you'll just really enjoy um, the way that he talks about the business, but also the way they've thought about strategy, what they've chosen to double down on. And I think it's uh, it's absolutely instructive uh, and he's done an excellent job. So enjoy today's episode. Really hope you get a lot out of it. Welcome to the Scale HQ podcast, your weekly injection of tips and insights into the secrets of scaling. I'm your host, Sean Steele, and I am obsessed with figuring out how to help founders just like you who are creating real value in the world to scale up so they can fulfill their potential. I do that each week by interviewing founders who successfully scaled, experts in all the areas of business that you need to master, interviews with founders who are still on the way up, and 10-minute tutorials and reflections from me based on my experiences in creating 100 million bucks in revenue for four other companies over eight years. So let's dive in and see what gems we can find together on this week's episode of the Scale HQ Podcast. Welcome back to our regular listeners and to anyone joining us for the first time. We are thrilled to have you. Thank you so much for coming back uh, each week. My guest this week uh, is Rowan. Actually, I've never pronounced your last name, Rowan. You pronounce your last name for me in case I pronounce it poorly. Yeah, Kunz. Kunz. Okay, great. Rowan Kunz, thank you very much. (laughs) I've spoken to you so many times, but never pronounced your last name. Founder and CEO of Art of Smart. Um, K-12 tutoring and study skills business, but actually much more from what I understand because it kind of looks like from, and you know, I've been in and around your journey for a while and I'll explain the context for the um, the audience, but it looks like your business is starting to reposition a little around, you know, inspirational, um, you know, career and leadership mentoring in in addition to kind of help Aussies, young Aussies, I guess, figure out that sort of, what am I going to do with my life after I, when I finish school and how do I get there? Not just okay, I really want to nail some exams and how do I, how do I optimize my scores? Is that, is that a fair call? Yeah, look, that's true. Um, so certainly for us, like that fits under both like a, a mentoring uh, program that we have called the Pathfinder program, as well as then increasing work that we do in schools where we're going into schools and supporting students, you know, in years 10, 11 and 12 with, uh, you know, that career and leadership component as well. Yeah. Cool. It's often been a missing, I mean, we've been to quite a few uh, schools. I was actually super impressed with the last one uh, that my boys were in. The whole year ten career development program was like it went for a whole year. Like the whole, mm-hmm. you know, doing psychometrics, thinking very deeply about what they're going to do afterwards, and all the subjects like and that sort of stuff. Really, there was no one asking those kinds of questions. Uh, felt like even five years ago. Um, it feels like a mighty challenge you've uh, you've taken on because I remember when I was fifteen to seventeen, I was absolutely clueless and so very excited that people are like you in the world and uh, and supporting uh, teenagers to have a better outcome. Uh, I guess context for our audience, you know, we were introduced by one of my old mentors who I know is also an investor in um, your business. And when he's invested, I'm always curious because uh, as you know, he, he's whip smart and I haven't met many sort of smarter and nicer um, uh, humans than, than him. You know, company 
present company excluded, of course, but you're also uh, one of the founders joining our um, foundation cohort of the Scale-Ups Roadmap program, where we help founders build a stronger competitive advantage through a good growth strategy, simplified execution plans, and so on. So I can't wait for you to be um, part of that. But you know, lots of people listening um, are not only founders, but of course, um, parents of teens uh, like me. We've got plenty of founders in and around uh, my age who see tutoring businesses from the outside. Um, mm-hmm. And that's sort of, you know, they're floating around the there, but they actually have no idea what they look like from a founder perspective or you know, the actual business model of tutoring and study skills and the businesses. Your business is going well. You're a successful seven figure founder uh, that's, you know, that's growing well. Um, and so I was keen to understand today, like unpack a bit what the business looks like, the challenges, the strengths, what you've learned so far, things you think you're going to be facing over the, um, the upcoming uh, period. Are you happy with that as a bit of a setup for us today? Yeah, sounds great. Happy to be here and looking forward to chatting, Sean. Awesome. Well, can you um, start for us with the personal journey that led you to found um, Art of Smart? Like, what, what was the driving force? Yeah, so look, uh, you know, I was at university at the time. Um, you know, I had in high school thought I wanted to be a professional athlete. So, you know, I'd been, you know, I, I love football. That is the round ball version of football, just to be clear. Um, <laughs> you do have to be clear in Australia, don't you? <laughs> you do, you really do. Uh, and so, you know, I, I'd had, you know, hopes to, to go play overseas, make it as a professional. And along oh, the way, I realized I probably needed a bit of a plan B. Um, and when I say I realized, it was probably more like my parents really made it clear to me that I needed a plan B. <laughs> um, and, you know, I had no clue. You know, like I had no clue really because I'd been so focused on uh, sport. And so for me, um, I thought, well, you know what? I love, I love, you know, reading John Grisham novels. I love any TV show with a lawyer in it. Like, you know, from what I can see, lawyers look like they have a great career, make lots of money, you know, lots of job security. Great. You know, that, that looks like, and it's high status. So great. You know, that looks like a great, pathway um and then you know i really liked harry potter and i thought sydney uni looked like hogwarts um yeah it does right it's a bad way to make a life choice but for me then you know my plan b became great law school and so i spent a lot of time you know training but also working pretty hard at school to try to get the marks to get into law school and i was really fortunate that you know by the end of the journey um you know somehow managed to get the marks you know i had really great support a fantastic mentor you know who was my soccer coach at the time as well that really just um you know provided a lot of inspiration and guidance and i got there and you know it was nothing like what i had expected you know like it was certainly not hogwarts i mean sydney is a great institution but you know it's not hogwarts a lot less magic yeah (laughs) definitely definitely (laughs) and also you know i had a rude awakening about a career as a lawyer you know like because i'd literally done no research short of watching TV shows, you know, reading some, yeah. you know, reading some fiction books, right, about a career as a lawyer. And I, I, my observation is, you know, since then, that that's not that uncommon for most young people. You know, like a lot of the time, our ideas about what we want to do with our lives when we're 16, 17 and 18 are really formed by, uh, you know, pop culture. You know, like yeah, wanna... the things that we see, the things that our, our friends are talking about. And you know, I was no different. But when I got there, I realized, well, hey, wait a minute. You know, um, the career prospects are by no means certain as a career as a lawyer. You know, there's, yep. um, you know, over 50,000 students studying law degrees across Australia at any given point in time. There's maybe, you know, 67,000 practicing solicitors. So, you know, the, the numbers don't quite stack up well, when you look at the job opportunities and the number of students studying it. And I also then had this realization that, uh, you know, it wasn't the type of career. Did you learn those numbers whilst you were actually doing your law degree? you like, because obviously oh. that's not the kind of thing that you typically think about prior to going into any degree. <laughs> yeah, not, not those explicit numbers, but I started realizing 
wait yeah. a minute, the, the level of Hang opportunity on. here is not necessarily what I had been led to believe for really? the lack of research that I'd done. Um, but I think also it was a mindset thing for me, which was that I think um, my observation through my experiences in law is that you've, you know, you've got to be really good at finding problems, right? Because a lot of the time you're trying to, to like see off problems that might happen in the future. And uh-huh. I just hated living in that mindset. You know, like I'm much right. more a person that loves, yeah, like, great, let's, let's find a problem, but let's, let's solve it. You know, let's create something, let's build something. So um, for me then, I ended up um, not really knowing what I was going to do. Like I was in this place of just, well, I'm, I'm doing this law degree, like hopefully it'll lead to something. And I started um, having some, some family friends reach out because they were athletes or musicians or artists or performers, and they were wanting to do well at school to create options for life after school. But they were also wanting to find a way to continue to do what they were passionate about. And everything um, around them was telling them that was not possible, you know, that you needed to quit sport, dance, music, extracurricular. You've got to study for, for more and more hours. Like that's the pathway to success. And the reason they'd reached out to me was that they had just looked at my experience of continuing to, to train and try to pursue, you know, professional sport while also somehow, you know, pursuing an academic goal. And, and they said, hey, like, how did you do it? Can you provide some, some advice? Can you help me on the journey? Um, and I thought, well, you know, I'm not doing anything else right now. I'm looking for an escape route yeah. to a career as a lawyer. <laughs> um, I was like, great, you know, like I'll do my best. And, you know, the early days really, um, it was just me sharing things that worked for me. Yeah. Um, but very quickly, I suppose, like I had sort of two experiences. One was um, an experience that I realized I could significantly impact another person's life. And as another young person, you don't have, there's not many things that you can do at that age where you get to have that degree of impact on someone else. Yeah. Um, and that was just, you know, addictive, you know, like it was just like this, wow, this is an incredible yeah. experience. Um, and then, you know, secondly, alongside that was just this observation that over time, it wasn't just athletes that were coming to me. It was, you know, just, you, you know, a year 12 student who was just struggling with the pressures of year 12 and the stresses mm-hmm. and the anxieties and, and they wanted to just get through the journey in a way where they were going to maintain their well-being but still maximize their options for life after. And that made me sort of realize, hey, wait a minute, this isn't necessarily like this really niche problem where, you know, there's this small group of athletes and performers that, that need this support. Actually, it's a, it's a much broader need that exists. Um, and so, you know, in my final year of my law degree, um, basically made a decision to not apply for, not to apply for any clerkships. Uh, Cause you know, the pathway typically is, you know, you, you get a clerkship in, you know, your penultimate year. If you don't screw it up, you, you get a grad offer and you know, you're sort of great. You've, you've got your future sort of set out. And I said, no, I'm going to burn the boat, so to speak. I'm not going to apply wow. for any clerkship. And I had friends looking at me going, you're crazy. Like you're going to not pursue that to start like a tutoring and mentoring business. Like really? Um, and yeah, I made the decision. I was like, no, like I'm going to give it a year. I'm going to see what we can do over a year and just you know, really sort of um, try to create something here. And basically had in my mind that by the end of the year, uh, you know, I want to see enough, enough like momentum or traction, right, to go, great, there's something in it here. Um, I should double down on this, right, and not, you know, seek a career as a lawyer or a management consultant, whatever else, right, that might come. And so by the end of the year, you know, we'd gone from myself 
um, you know, to a sort of a team of about 15 other tutors and mentors. Um, and, you know, we just were bringing on you know, one of our first, you know, sort of staff in admin to support me running the business. And so it was enough to say, there's something here, you know, there's something well, yeah. here that's worth doubling down on um, and doing more. And so, you know, that was now, um, you know, that's sort of coming up to 14 years ago now. So, Jeez. Um, and yeah. that is a huge, like, that is a huge punt uh, to take fundamentally. Like, that must have taken a lot of uh, courage because you've just done a law degree. Everybody thinks you're at you. And, you know, if you think most people want for you, of course, safety and security and they don't mm. want their friends or their kids or whoever kind of entering into a big world of the unknown they're like oh, you know, play it safe like you've got this why wouldn't you carry on with that and i yeah i had a lot of uh, friends i remember one friend who got to the end of i think six months out of the end of his law degree and then restarted an it degree because he realized i just yeah. don't want this life this is not for me mm. um it took him a good amount of time to figure it out yeah what did your parents do were they supportive were they mm. freaking out like what, what was the environment <laughs> in which you made this decision yeah, look, really fortunate, um, incredibly supportive parents. So, I mean, my, my father, you know, had been an entrepreneur for most of his life. So, you know, uh -huh. he had, okay. at any point, you know, I mean, had run multiple businesses. So yeah. um, that certainly, you know, had changed my sort of mindset to realize that running a business uh, was one, uh, one of a number of career pathways you could take. It wasn't this sort mm -hmm. of weird thing that you would, you know, do if you were crazy and, it was something that was just one of a choice and uh, you know on my mother's side as well like you know her, her her siblings and she had people in her life and her family that also were were business owners and entrepreneurs and so i think that certainly normalized it a lot more yep. um yep. and you know certainly i think you know there were still some anxieties and, and stresses like you know uh oh like you know yeah. you've worked so hard and you know exactly there's this career set up um but i think in the end they both were really fantastic just in supporting me, trusting me to give it a go. And I think both myself and my family really had come to that that point of realizing, you know, and I'm still a huge believer of this. Like I think um, I had this realization that, you know, it was a win-win proposition because even if I started the business and it didn't play out to the extent that I wanted, um, my belief was it was going to at the time make me inherently more employable relative to my peer group just by the, dint of the experiences that I was going to be exposed Hello. to at a yeah. much more accelerated rate to the experiences they were having through, yeah. you know, more traditional employment avenues. So I think that really helped both give me and my parents, I think that, that degree of at the yeah. time confidence to be like, actually, no, you know, like, um, I've got my fallback here and actually yeah, exactly. it made me an even better. Yeah. That's, that's super interesting. Um, Wow, what a great! Um, that's a great. Uh, that's a great way to get started. And clearly, when you realise later on, as you become a founder and you end up negotiating a whole bunch of things, actually, you know, doing a law degree, it's not the uh, worst thing to have done because it really, you know, teaches you yeah. quite a lot about, you know, negotiating and how people think and contracts oh, and a million other things that can be useful. I mean, I think for, for me, I realised in second year it wasn't going to be what I wanted to do, but exactly, there was an right. appreciation of like, okay it can teach you a lot of things. And so, you know, I yeah. it really then dictated my subject choice within that law degree. You know, like what are things mm -hmm. in the law degree that I can do that are going to be broadly applicable if I'm not practicing as a lawyer necessarily. So, yeah, I 100% yeah, okay. agree with that. And, you know, you could have halfway through because you'd kind of realized maybe this isn't for me, you could have jettisoned that and actually really compounded the risk, but you chose to finish it, um, which probably did a lot for you, again, having that backup and not actually really adding a whole bunch of weight and pressure you still had a fallback that's super mm -hmm. interesting so what does the business look like today you know like 
customers, employees, mm. like give us a sense of the scale of what um, Artist Smart's doing today. Yeah, no, great. So yeah, we started with myself. Uh, I grew up in you know Sydney uh, in the Hills District. For anyone that you know, I'm a house from from that area. So it was myself doing my thing, going out to local areas. Now we're sort of incredibly fortunate. We um, operate across Queensland, New South Wales, and Victoria. Um, you know, we support uh, you know over three thousand students every year with tutoring and mentoring. Um, you know, we've got a team, a head office team of sort of twenty five. We have a teaching and tutoring team of over 600. Um, yes, wow. that's sort of, yeah, where we've come from, um, from, you know, just me driving around my car, you know, oh, supporting, you know, students in the local area. Yeah. That's amazing. And so in this, um, right now, it's fair to say that tutoring is relatively crowded, like it's necessarily not an uncontested markets, uh, marketplace for you. Mm-hmm. What was it like when you started? Did it seem like there were not many um, quality companies? Like I'm interested in how you have differentiated the business given the environment you've had to operate in. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, look, what, what I would say is that, I mean, to some extent, tutoring has always been a, a fairly competitive industry. Um, and I think yeah. one of the reasons for that is barriers to entry can be relatively low. I mean, you know, yeah. you're local you know university student who has graduated from high school you know you can put a shingle up so to speak right and be like great you know i'm i'm now a tutor i'm available and put it out throughout the network so you know you've got very very low barriers to entry and, and that's at an individual level but also organizationally and so what we see every year is you know um new new entrants coming to the market new entrants, yeah what we also see every year is entrants leave the market um, <laughs> yeah. um, and a lot of the time it's because the people that are starting the organizations were like myself, you know, they're at university, they, um, you know, looking for, you know, some, some casual work, maybe they're entrepreneurial and what do you know best? Well, you know, education, cause that's what your life experience has been. Mm-hmm. So you start an education and tutoring business. Um, inevitably though, you start to think about your career and you think about, oh, I mean, I'm doing engineering, I'm doing law, I'm doing computing and. Um, maybe the, the economics and the scale of the business are not sufficient enough yet to make it something that you double down on. And so what I would say is back then when we started through to today, like that dynamic is, is, is quite similar in that mm-hmm. okay. um, you get new entrants constantly, but they also don't tend to last that long. Um, yep. you know, there's like a three-year sort of um, mm-hmm. timeline and then they disappear. Um, so I think that's certainly been the case throughout that. In terms of you know, how do you still differentiate within that? Because, I mean, that doesn't really change. Um, yep. You know, you've still got to find a way to, to differentiate. I think the position we've taken always has been, um, and it's something that we've really focused on, is um, having a holistic approach to support for students. And so what I mean by holistic approach is um, not just focusing on great, like we're going to help you teach the content and we're going to help you maximise your ATAR, you know, in terms yep. of like it's all about marks and ATAR. Um, and, you know, if you look at the industry and you look at, certainly if you're looking at the industry for like, you know, high school tutoring support, m- most organizations, their focus in their messaging is around, we help you come first. We help you get the top ATAR. We, you know, all our tutors are the, you know, the 99 plus ATARs. Like it's, it's very, very much focused on, um, we're going to help you come first. Um, and so what we realized was that, and Raj, actually, sorry, just before you go on, just for the benefit of our audience, for anyone who's listening uh, overseas, which we'd absolutely have um, many listeners yeah. in the States and, and all over the place, and ATAR is essentially the sort of score that you get now. used to be quite a whole bunch of different sort of language around the scores, but now I believe it's nationally. Um, all students yes. uh, receive an ATAR, and that's their score that they use for sort of access to university. That's right. Yes, exactly right. So it's an important thing, uh, without a doubt, in terms of options. Um, 
So I think, yeah, if you zoom out and you look at, um, you know, just the, the landscape, like our perspective was, you know, really you've got maybe 15% of students based on sort of the, the distribution that will score an ATAS over 90. Right. And yet pretty much everyone in the market competes with their messaging for that 15%. You know, it's like, yeah. We help you, you know, we help you get a 99, a 98, a 95. Like we help you get that really high ATAR. And so we sort of looked at that and went, first of all, um, great, you know, yes, that's a segment of the population that, that may be very invested in wanting extra support. They're very driven. And so you can understand why, uh, you know, a whole lot of organizations are going to have that as their target segment because it's a highly motivated group of students and families that are wanting support. But equally, equally, it's a actually quite small percent of the total market Man. of students that need support. And it's fiercely fought after by yeah. so many other competitors. So we said, look, what we're more interested in looking at is one, how do we support students achieve growth, right? We're more interested in where you start and where you, where you land rather than necessarily you scoring a perfect, you know, high mark or score. And okay. secondly, the way that we're going to help you do that is going to be significantly different. So our focus is going to recognize that um, at the end of the day, it's not just the content, it's also how you navigate all of the other things that go with the journey. Being, uh, you know, what's your study routines look like? You know, what's your time management, your energy management, how are you maintaining your well-being? Uh, you know, what actually are your study strategies in the lead up to an exam? How do you manage your exam technique? Because our realization was that we could be in a, in, a, in, a, in a room with a student for an hour a week. Great, right? We could be teaching them maths, English, physics, chemistry, whatever it might be. Their success, though, was actually not going to be really an equation of what we did in the hour with them. It was going to be what they did in all the hours that they were by themselves without a tutor or a teacher holding them really? and how effectively they used that time. And so for us, we realized, great, if we're going to better support students navigate this journey in a healthily, you know, in a way that's much more healthy for them, um, where, you know, and a way that's going to be more successful for them, we need to zoom out and look at this bigger piece. It's not just about, great, we're going to teach you the content and we're going to, you know, focused on that we've got to look at all of these other factors that are playing a part and so we really doubled down on that on day one um you know the way that we did that was we actually went out to the market and said to you know high school students what are your burning questions about just navigating this this high school journey that you don't really have good answers to you know that um you know you don't know what to do and so we we took that and we created a list of you know 50 sort of key questions and a lot of them were like you know how do I get into a good sleep routine? You know, like, how do I avoid burnout? How do I balance and manage my time more effectively? Um, you know, how do I, you know, reduce mind blanks and exam stress? You know, and so we took all of those and then we went to, you know, really the, the top 2% of students across Australia. And we sort of said, great, like, you guys have clearly worked something out here in terms of how you navigated the journey, how you did this. How did you do it? Right. And so, um, you know, at the time, you interviewed 100. Um, now, since then, we've interviewed thousands. And the idea was to basically build a playbook of great, what are the strategies and the approaches that students are using um, that is consistently going to support other students if they were to apply it as well, be able to navigate the journey more successfully. And that, that led to um, initially, you know, writing and publishing a book, um, which was a key part of like our, you know, initial sort of market positioning um, and one of our key early marketing strategies around going great, like we're putting a, you know, a real stake in the ground, so to speak, on, Yep. Um, you know, that our approach is very analyzed what works and here yep, it is. That's right. Yeah. And grounded in, you know, a very holistic approach. Um, and, uh, you know, that that's really then continued to be a core part of our offering, you know, ever since then. And to this day, it, you know, it, it still 
certainly over time, you know, the, the, the dynamic has shifted. Like we've been talking about well-being and stress and managing time and for you know over a decade now it's becoming obviously a lot more i think of a of a, of a mm. recognized issue but yeah. yeah for us we've been doing it for over 10 years so of course now to some extent you know we do see some competitors you know rebranding from time to time over the years and looking and, and borrowing some some language and some words that look suspiciously like uh, mm-hmm. like ours um but even to this day like if you come to our site you know like our key message on our landing page is we help you study smart maintain well-being transform your results um that language is very unique in the market in terms of right. just our focus in how we're trying to support students. That's so interesting. Well, I love that you, um, rather than, you know, quite often I think uh, people can fall into the trap of going, well, we already know the answers and here are the answers. You know, we've got mm. four of us that happen to have had a, you know, a bit of success doing something and here are the answers as opposed to actually going and doing the real research. And if you look at most, you know, most businesses that have sold knowledge well, um, so, you know, the Vern Harnishes, Jim Collins, and so like they've all been grounded in a, we've just gone out and asked the people who are nailing it and we've distilled that into actually something that makes a lot of sense and now we teach it to somebody else. Um, and I love that your business was, was grounded uh, in that. How does, can you just talk to me about scale constraints in a mm-hmm. tutoring business? Like ultimately, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that we, you know, I certainly personally and other scale HQ advisors that we have spend time with founders on is you know most founders are interested in unlocking scale in their business and quite often they grow up with a business model that made sense for a period of time but then all of a sudden there's a constraint that really holds them back from being able to continue to build at the same rate as the business gets bigger mm. um what are the big constraints for you in a tutoring business yeah i mean i think the biggest one is, is tutors and people you know at the end of the day like um you know tutoring is and certainly COVID and, and online take-up has, has, has shifted that a little. I say a little, perhaps not to the extent, um, you know, um, that maybe, you know, was foretold. But I, I think tutoring inherently is still a very local experience. So, right, okay. um, you know, people often love to have a tutor that graduated from their school because they're familiar with the school and the teachers and the assessments. Um, you know, there's still, a, you know, a huge demand for, you know, even if you're wanting someone um, you know, and you're open to online, there's, there's still a, a large demand of wanting someone local to you, you know, like maybe right. it's because you do prefer that face-to-face, that's your learning preference. Um, and so I think that's probably one of the, the, the key challenges because even if you're with online, yeah. you can now maybe bring on, you know, some people that can serve a, a larger geographical area, yeah. um, you know. The demand of, side is still saying, yeah, but we still want local. Oh, what percentage well, of the business well, well, or what percentage extent. of the children would be delivered in some yeah. kind of a face-to-face or localized environment versus an online environment where the geographic boundaries don't exist so much. Yeah, so and that's where I think online certainly has helped, right? So pre-COVID, you know, we were probably in a position where maybe three percent of what we were doing was online, and that was predominantly, you know, rural, regional, international, uh, you know, in terms yeah. of international schools. So you know, COVID's come along, and you know, now we would look at probably forty percent of what we do is delivered online. So you know, significant change, and that certainly does open yeah. up sort of your ability to scale and to some extent you know going back to your prior question that does change the competitive landscape a little bit you know which is i think maybe the, one of the key differences to right. when we started the business right you know when we started the right. business yeah there was you know few barriers to entry but actually one of the barriers to entry was localization you know being able to yeah. have team in local areas that certainly shifted a little bit right because as you, we can see that you know, in our case 40 percent of 
the support we now deliver is online, um, it still though presents the constraint for the remaining sixty percent. You know that yes. are that are wanting face to face. They're wanting in person support either in their home or at a local campus. Um, and so then it's a matter of uh, you know having you know the, the right people um, with the right availability um, with the right expertise. Um, in the right area. <laughs> yeah. And therefore, um, actually, scalability becomes almost a requirement, doesn't it? Because if you're going to, like, for you to actually have the time and the resources to find those people, screen those people, attract the right ones, you actually need to have the demand from enough of the areas. Like, you've really right. got a two sided marketplace kind of going on, uh, don't you, in this model? Yeah. I mean, in many respects, yes. You know, like, precisely. Like, you don't want to bring on team and, and, and tutors and then not have the work for them, but you sort of, you know, yep. need to have them there because if you don't, then you're not able to support the inquiries that you're getting. So, yeah, it can be uh, quite complex in sort of navigating that. Um, certainly, again, when you're sort of looking at it from a yeah from a position of, of scale. As I said, online certainly has helped that, um, okay. you know, without a doubt. But, you know, still that remains, you know, in particularly in, I think particularly in certain states as well yeah. and for certain year groups. So, you know, for, for primary school, you know, Online is, it's probably remained at 3%, yeah. um, you know, and understandably, like, you know, for a young, you know, for a, a young person who's in primary school, more often than not, they really need that in-person support, right. just purely from a focus point of view. Yeah. Equally, mm -hmm. you know, I think depending on the degree of lockdowns in states, um, you know, that that's also played a role in terms of, um, you know, people's appetite, you know, for online. So our experience is, you know, that Queensland, um, you know, they had a very different lockdown experience to New South Wales and Victoria. Um, you know, there's a much stronger demand remaining, you know, in Queensland, you know, for face-to-face -face as opposed to online um, relative to, you know, New South Wales and Victoria. Now, what if I told you that with just 15 minutes of effort, you could find out the top three things that are going to hold your business back from scaling in a sustainable way so that you can fulfill its potential and you can enjoy it as much as you deserve to? And what if I told you in that same 15 minutes of effort, you can find out how your business stacks up against thousands of other businesses who've taken the same test so you can actually see how you compare. If that sounds interesting, you need to head straight over to scalehq.com.au forward slash growth score. You're going to complete a short survey and you're going to get back in your inbox a free nine page report. It's going to show you how you stack up versus your peers and where you need to focus to unlock scalability and a greater level of enjoyment in your business. And for a limited time, I'm going to offer you a free 30-minute debrief on the report where myself or one of our Scale HQ founder mentors who are all experienced CEOs and have scaled successfully will unpack your specific report with you. We've done hundreds of these, and so we know exactly how to help you get the most out of the insights in there. There's no selling from us, just lots of value for you. Head over to scalehq.com.au forward slash growth score and get your free growth score report right now. You are going to love it. So it sounds like then, you know, and, you know, some industries got, um, you know, really got hammered. Uh, some industries got hammered for the short term and then had a huge tailwind, come, you know, coming out of um, COVID. Sounds like, you know, perhaps COVID's been a good enabler given you, if for you guys and your ability to shift, you know, get a, a greater blend between kind of online and face-to-face, -face, which probably helps with the scalability. But if you think about the last five years, if you even go maybe kind of pre-COVID, mm. what have you invested in or doubled down on that you think has actually really helped you get to where you are today? Mm. Yeah, so I was thinking about this and, and really we have three C's um, that I would, you know, sort of reflect on that have been key for us. So content, curriculum and campuses. So to start with for us, you know, over the last, you know, five years, you know, we've, um, you know, really invested a lot in content marketing. 
So um, creating incredible guides and resources for students from, you know, like the, the study skill, like how to study for a subject through to, uh, you know, maybe practice questions and, you know, how to actually like navigate exams through to, you know, interviewing students at all of Australian, you know, Australia's top universities to find out their experiences in specific degrees through to going out and interviewing career professionals to find out what it's actually like to be a lawyer, an engineer, or a doctor, you know, an en- you know, whatever it might be. So we, we've spent really, uh, you know, yeah, the last five years making significant investments into content. Um, and that, that's been really sort of key, I think, for us in, right. you know, one, um, you know, just really, I think, building a, a, a really sort of strong brand in the market. I think, um, you know, I think when you, you think about that competitive landscape again, um, you know, I think brand at the end of the day, like becomes quite important, particularly as students get into senior years and parents and families start to think about, well, who are we going to trust to help my kid go through what is an important time? Because if we've got the wrong person here, you know, it may influence the results and the options that my, you know, my child has for life after school. So, yeah. Brand and trust becomes quite important. So we've, yeah. I think that's been really key for us just in building significant trust and, and brand in the marketplace. And in turn, that also has helped us really as a flywheel, I think, just enable us to, to recruit, you know, because so many people as a student know about us and have a positive experience with us as a student in using maybe a guide or an article or a video that then later on when they're looking maybe to, you know, to, to do some tutoring while they're at uni, um, Art of Smart, you know, the little green, mm-hmm. little green leaf, that's a recognizable yeah, sort of symbol for them to go, oh, yeah, I know those guys. I trust those guys. Um, yeah. So for us, certainly content um, is, you know, probably been one of the, the sort of first key levers. I'd say that second and one actually been- just one, um, just one thing to draw on there. I think, you know, for those people listening, many people probably think about content as fundamentally just a customer acquisition enabler. Um, but I think what you've just highlighted is actually, and given the environment that you've talked about is super important because if you think about things that you can double down on that in three to five years, give you a competitive advantage, if you imagine being a new upstart, uh, coming into a market where you're now competing against Rowan and Art of Smart and you look at the amount of resources that they have and it risks it's really high quality content, therefore it's taken time and cost to curate and it's really well laid out and you go, how am I ever going to compete with that? Like these guys are clearly got scale. I'm never going to be, you know, it, it actually creates a really strong um, competitive position, not just a good enabler for customer acquisition. And by the way, your content is excellent because last night my my son who's in year 12 and who's finding maths, uh, maths methods <laughs> um, quite challenging. I actually gave him the link to your landing page and I sent him examples of, you know, practice questions and awesome. things for his external assessments. And I was like, Get on this page. Yeah, you know, we're having a conversation this Sunday. I was like, I want you to have read everything that's on here <laughs> before we have this conversation. Uh, your plan makes very much so. Yeah, uh, it's definitely good. So sorry, that was your your number one pillar one. Yeah, content. and I think what you just thing? shared applies really nicely to pillar two for us, which has been like curriculum. And when I say curriculum, um, what I mean is one of the things that that we did um, is you know we made a decision to invest in building um, you know significant tutoring resources to support our tutors and our students with the subjects and the mentoring that we were going to be providing them with. And so, you know, what that's looked like has mean, you know, building out a, you know, a a resource design team, um, you know, of of amazing teachers and tutors that have been looking at, you know, each state-based curriculum, you know, um, and going, great, what do we need to create here to really support 
both tutors in delivering high quality sessions. And that's really key because when you've got scale, how do you ensure, you know, over 600 plus teachers, how do you ensure that that actually, you know, the person that's out there working with the student is going to deliver at a minimum standard? Um, and so for us, it was going great. Let's build these really comprehensive resources that, you know, curriculum outcome and dot point by dot point, we're going to be sharing like the key things that, you know, that students need to be knowing and having practice questions, you know, graded by difficulty and mock exams and all of the things that, that you would really need to get support and all of the things that if you were to go to the local sort of tutor around the corner, they're not going to have. Um, and- I was just about to draw that out because actually my experience was we, we had some tutors. I remember when my son was doing, you know, sort of advanced maths in like year 10 and we, you know, off a different platform had some um, tutors who pretty much came in and from my perspective, did his work for him. And I reckon he learned absolutely zero. His study skills didn't improve one iota. It was like, all of a sudden, I've got a feeding source. And when that feeding source goes away, I've got nothing. And I just thought, well, like they know stuff and they can yeah. help him solve the problem, but can they actually explain it? Can they help him come to his own understandings? Are they helping him think about how he actually does the stuff? And, and it was a, that's chalk and cheese. And so, geez, I sound like an art of smart salesperson. That. Um, but you know, having that personal experience, I think this stuff's actually super important. And again, it's building something that is hard to replicate. So these are things that don't deliver immediate impact. Like you all of a sudden don't start investing in things like these resources and your revenue goes through the roof. Like no. it's actually a real cost and it's a heavy cost. Yeah. But over I mean, a I would say we've spent, time, we've spent probably close to a million dollars, you know, yeah, um, well, okay. investing in it. So like, yeah. <laughs> Significant costs. Um, and customers but, at the face of it also, when they've had no experience with a business, they don't really know what that, like it's hard for them to understand how valuable it is until they're in the service. So that mm. can be also really challenging when you're making those investment decisions because yeah. that may not factor into the way they decide to start or to try you, but actually yeah. it would have a big impact on retention, I imagine. For, yeah, I mean, okay. certainly I think, I mean, look, I think it's, it's probably had a couple of impacts for us. I think... Um, certainly, um, our observation is it does have some degree of impact on customers making a choice to work with us as opposed okay. to yep. elsewhere. Um, you know, because I think there is a, certainly a recognition of, you know, I think particularly you know, your experience is, is really, I think, one that many parents and students have had where, you know, they've, they've got support and, you know, the, the tutor themselves is actually, they're great, you know, they're, they're intelligent, they're articulate, lovely person. But then, you know, you've got a really specific curriculum, a really specific syllabus, and you've got an assessment that you're facing. And, you know, how do you, how do you grapple with that, right? Like, what's okay. the level of support that you're going to have to be able to navigate that? And it's just not quite the same. So I think we do find in our case that that does make it um, a difference. And I think the reason it also makes a difference is that most one-on-one, so we do a couple of things, and I suppose, you know, as we talk a little bit more, um, it probably come out, we, we do both one-on-one and group based format um, support. Um, and that, that's pretty unique actually in the market. I guess that's one of the other differentiators that I didn't highlight in terms of how we sort of um, you know, positioned uh-huh. ourselves. Um, and the reason that's pretty unique is that most organizations tend to do one or the other. You know, they tend to do one-to-one you know, right. online or in, you know, in person, or they do group online or in what person. What mm-hmm. um, And for us, um, you know, we went great. Actually, how do, we, how do we build personalization to what we do? Which is, what's the student's learning needs? And then what is the right fit of support? Because sometimes it's one-to-one, sometimes it's group, sometimes it's a bit of both. Um, Now, the reason I say that then is that most group or, you know, group-based sort of tutoring organizations have the scale to invest in significant teaching, resource, and curriculum. 
um, to ensure you know that there's a really great experience. Um, whereas a lot of one-to-one don't. And so I think mm-hmm. the other thing that then is quite unique for us is that we, um, you know, have been able to leverage some of the scale that we've been able to build um, to go, great, let's build these resources that are here, these curriculum resources to support tutoring. And then let's deliver that in a one-on-one environment. And let's not just deliver it in a one-on-one environment, but like when you get started with this, um, we'll also, you know, once your tutor works out what you're needing, we'll ship out a physical printed resource book um, to support the lessons with you. Um, yeah. So we've found that I think that certainly, um, certainly, you know, has, has helped. And that's been like a, you know, a really important factor for us. And then alongside it, I think the flip side is as well, is it also really helps, I think, on, just retention with with tutors because tutoring you know can from a tutor's perspective depending on the subject you're doing can sometimes take a lot of preparation you know you've got a lot mm-hmm. of work to, to to go and prep or you know if you don't have access to these resources and you're you know that that local tutor that's supporting you know you, you, your kid like you might be going away going oh they've got this exam coming up i've got to go and i'm going to go and prepare all of these worksheets um now of course you know like ai might make that a little bit easier in the future to be able to do um, but um, I think that's been our observation as well, is it just really has helped to not only improve overall the quality of sessions that our team can deliver, but it also enables them to be able to, you know, spend more time thinking about how they're going to engage the student in the lesson. Yeah. You know, spend more time on sort of some of the higher order things that are going to be more important in a lesson um, and save them some time on prep and, and hopefully therefore just, you know, improve the retention as well and, and them sort of staying that's with other smart and with their students. And so if curriculum is the second say, what's the third? Yeah, so the third for us has been campuses. Campuses, um, okay. Yeah, so we, we made a decision in sort of 2017, um, you know, to, to I guess, a, you know, at that point, we had been only one-on-one in homes and, and very small percent online. Um, and so that had been our primary delivery model. And I guess what we realized was, you know, hey, we want to find a way to build deeper relationships with customers and families um, so that we can support them. Um, and, you know, that was, you know, through both, um, you know, like the, the range of programs we were sort of hoping to build out at that point, but also in just the delivery. So for us, we opened our first campus, you know, towards the, the end of 2017. Um, and that also heralded the beginning of running group programs as well. Okay. Um, and so, you know, that was also, I think, another really just key, um, you know, sort of, yeah, pillar it's for differentiator. us. Yeah. Again, more competitive you know and so notwithstanding that can be a scale constraint as well if you know it becomes a material part of the revenue is that can become a strong differentiator but it could also obviously you know campus fit house cost money and you got extra mm-hmm. leases and all the rest um but to you know from what i hear you know you've had the opportunity to go and there are some you know big platforms that just do one-on-one tutoring it's essentially just a you know marketplace and so the mm. Quality is probably very difficult um, to control, but they've got a lot of scale and it's, you know, they've got no infrastructure and no capex. But what I hear from your business and your brand is actually the holistic view of the student has been critical, which is one of the things that's really, you know, um, necessitated that you make these investments um, in the way that you have done because you know that it's going to produce better outcomes. Mm-hmm. Conscious of how much time we've got left, I'm really interested to understand where you think the industry is heading. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, I've got two questions there. One, what would you, I mean, everybody loves to just bash the education industry and like all of us mm-hmm. as parents were like, you know, I can't believe this isn't taught in schools and blah, 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 but you're closer to it than anybody else. If, you, if there was something that you could change about the way students are educated in the public or private, you know, typical mm-hmm. kind of K-12 environment, what would you change? And then second, where is education mm-hmm. going? I mean, every, you know, there's 
so many people are probably very quick to go, well, ChatGPT is just going to become a personalized tutor or, you know, some version of ChatGPT. And so yeah. why, why do we need humans anymore for tutoring? Mm-hmm. I'll just get them a $20 a month license. So talk to me first about what would you change and then where is mm-hmm. it going? Yes, what I change, um, it's something I've written about a lot um, and I'm very passionate about is I think what I'd want to see change is um, uh, much more much more integration of entrepreneurial education for students, particularly throughout senior high school. Um, and I think just at its core, um, you know, I think it's, it's tricky because an ATAR at the moment is the best still indicator of someone's ability to succeed at university. But that's wow. all, I think, predicated upon a reality that university is still the best pathway for long-term future success. And I think for a range of careers, certainly, you know, for a range of careers where you need, um, you know, a certain level of, you know, training and certification, whether or not it's, you know, medicine or engineering as examples, great. Um, But I think, you know, we're in a world now where, you know, there is um, so much more opportunity for young people and actually um, entrepreneurial thinking being able to identify problems, uh, you know, see opportunities, learn how to, you know, build products and services, you know, um, market, sell, launch teams. Like, I think that is such a critical skill set for helping young people navigate the future. Um, well, not even the future, really the now. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah. so I think if I, yeah, if I could click my fingers well, and that's go, more of a catch up, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. There's one, exactly. If there's one thing that I'd love to see, it would be, you know, really that, you know, there is, um, you know, much more entrepreneurial education, particularly, you know, in years 10, 11 and 12. Um, and look, schools are doing their best. And I think, you know, more and yeah. more schools are bringing on, uh, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, leaders within the schools into entrepreneurial roles to encourage it. And a lot of yeah. the time that, you know, they're struggling with curriculum constraints that, you know, is already stuffed with so much other things. Um, yeah. But I think, yeah, really, um, if we could really just dial that up, I think, you know, Australia would um, really... Well, still very um, teacher-led rather than curriculum-led, isn't it? Which, you know, which is, of course, also yeah. a challenge because the knowledge um, changes quickly. Like, I, you know, I helped in my son, not the last school, but the previous school before that, I introduced an entrepreneurship um, program to their year sixes and I co-facilitated it with the school because it was super important to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, luckily, my son wasn't embarrassed about me then because he was only in year six. And so, yeah, you know, that's still king. Um, that changes. And then... Um, and then in the, my son's high school, when he was going, they had an amazing sort of head of entrepreneurship as a business teacher who just, yeah. you know, they had full shark tanks and stuff that I sat on the panel of. And incredible. Uh, it was just awesome to see those kids going through that. But it was yeah. absolutely teacher-led. And when that teacher departs, yeah. who knows? That's right. What yeah, and mean. that's what I, I see for a lot, exactly. For a lot of schools, it is it is very teacher-led. And it's often something that a teacher has just volunteered to take yeah, on. It's passionate on about top it, yeah. of everything else that they have, <laughs> which is already right. a lot. And yeah. so... Um, exactly. You know, like the, the, the burnout risks, but also precisely yeah. right. They leave and, and it's just not, uh, it's not part of, um, you know, this sort of broader well, culture. Well, um, I think if you go, you know, you were fortunate to grow up in an environment where entrepreneurship was normalized uh, in your household. But mm. for those students who haven't, if you think to go back almost to your own story and go, well, had you had parents, you know, my parents were absolutely sort of government orientation, zero mm. entrepreneurship skills. It was not in my awareness whatsoever. Um but if you were to have access to those kinds of experiences in schools where all of a sudden you might still do your law degree, but you are thinking like you did mm. halfway through, actually, there is another potential pathway here. And I've given, I've got a little bit of confidence because I've actually had to build some stuff and sell some stuff and, mm. you know, have my ideas tested and I've, I've got a little bit more confidence to feel like this is not my only path. 
there yeah. there are other other options even if my parents told me i have to be a doctor or yeah. maybe i'll build a medical platform or yeah, rather than being yeah. a doctor themselves what about the future um mm. Raul? yes i mean look I, I think without a doubt ai will have a level of impact um in education i mean it already is you know like i you know, yeah. i don't know I, I i can't think of a student that i haven't met that hasn't at some level been trying to use chat gpt uh, to help them get through an assignment or an assessment. So I think without a doubt, it's going to have an impact. I think w- what we've sort of been looking at from our perspective, we, we sort of zoomed out and particularly more from, I guess, a, a tutoring or outside of school support perspective. We really looked and zoomed out and looked at, okay, what are all of the different buckets of types of support that you know a tutor might provide? Um, you know, so that's from maybe the, you know helping you know, teaching, explicitly teaching some, some, some content, right, through to helping students break down a, an assessment question and create a plan, through to marking and feedback, through to supporting them with a study plan, helping them stay accountable, giving them emotional encouragement. Um, so I think if we look at that and you really separate each one, I think there's a, you know, a huge, I think, um, case to say that, um, you know, AI is going to be able to play a significant role in components of each of those steps. So I think for us, the question has been, okay, well, um, you know, how many? You know, if there's, let's say there's 10 particular buckets, right, of the types of support that a tutor might provide, it's like, well, okay, to what extent is, you know, AI over time going to be developed to provide, you know, the number of buckets? And so what I suspect is that over time, you know, it might right now, you know, like ChatGPT is good, but it, it is still very limited in terms of its yeah. application maybe it's one or two of them, you know, like, um, and so it's there and it's supporting students get a little bit of supplementary support, but then there's a lot of issues with it. So they're still requiring that human support. What I suspect is that over time, the number of buckets and the quality of the support that is provided by AI grows to a point where yes, right, students most likely will have a reduced need for human support. Now, when I say reduced, like I would my anticipation is, and we saw this through online, um, is that we saw that, um, uh, you know, students, some students took to online and it was perfect. Yes. And there was a huge bucket load of students as well where online didn't play out. And I mean, you see that, like, yep. we've gone back to 40, 60, you know, we've gone Absolutely. back to that point where for 40% of students online, yep, really? and then 60, it was like, no. So what yep. my suspicion is with AI is that um, there's going to be a group of students where, they're just not um, self-disciplined enough, self-motivated yeah. enough to be able to take the full advantage, I think, of AI. Well, the assumption extent. is that it's not just, if you think about what, what happens in, a, in an advice situation, you have to trust the, you have to trust the person or the, you know, the, the delivery mechanism, perhaps, or maybe is a better way to say it. Like, who's it coming from? Do yeah. I believe in the information? Do I, do I believe, excuse me, do I believe in my ability to implement it? Like those yeah. three things all have a lot to do with whether you'll actually receive advice and do something with it. So to your point, I imagine there'll be some kids who'll listen to a, an AI co-pilot say, hey, maybe we want to be thinking about this in terms of your study plan. Mm-hmm. Some will just ignore it because they're like, yeah, it's fine. It's coming from a system like whatever. But it, it's, all of those three things have to um, take into account yeah, and it's not the same delivery mechanism for everyone. Yeah, yeah. I, so I, I would suspect that. that there's going to be a group that, that you know, yes, is still going to really need that, that face-to-face support. I suspect there's going to be a group that are able to, to supplement with AI support um, and then from time to time for some of the higher order, more challenging things um, are going to dial in to get, great, I need a bit of human support now um, because, you know, I've sort of come to the 
the edge yeah. of what I can sort of get through the AI support. Um, yeah. And then I suspect there's a group of students that were never able to afford support yeah. before, which I think is, you know, I think going to be really fantastic that are now going to be able to at least get a level of support at a much lower cost um, to be able to help them navigate the journey. So I think, yeah, that, that's sort of at least how we're, um, how we're sort of looking at it um, in terms of just what we anticipate, yeah, is going to be the, the likely outcome. And I think in all of that, though, I think what's going to be really interesting, and this is something that, that we've observed, um, garbage in, garbage out. You know, like you need to know the right questions to ask. <laughs> um and so I think um, that's, I think, going to be the really interesting thing um, for students utilizing AI. And certainly it is at the moment when it's ChatGPT and it isn't some, you know, um, specifically trained um, product um, is, you know, yeah. what are the Where's questions the they're asking? From it's learning from you. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Do they know the right questions to ask? And so I think yeah. that, that'll also play a role in impacting it. But yeah, we suspect. Well, go back to your earlier point around how you built the business in the first place. You could ask ChatGPT today, and it'll take the you know the average of what's out on the internet, much of yeah. which over time will also become auto-generated. So I imagine like the quality of information will go down. And so where's the information coming from? Is it coming some from somebody who has a data set based on what success looks like with you know deep specialization? Is that where the data set that informs the AI comes from, or hmm. is it coming from general stuff on the internet, which might get you you know part of the way? But there's going to be a big difference, I think, in AI delivered. Um, any kind of coaching, tutoring type model based on what's the data set that sits behind it and who has actually built that data set. So I think there's a real interesting um, space for uh, people like Art of Smart to play mm -hmm. uh, when it comes yeah, to that. Definitely. Right, I'm super conscious um, of time and this I could talk to you about um, education and how we um, transform that uh, for hours given we're very philosophically aligned yep. there. But um, I've, you know, I, I just really appreciate the time that you've given us today. And folks, when you listen, if you, if you were to listen play this episode over again, one of the things I think you're going to hear that so excites me um, is that the reason Rowan is actually, I mean, Rowan could have taken numerous paths to scaling in the tutoring business. You could have gone straight in and gone for a sort of pure play online, no CapEx, no, you know, like just removing every possible constraint because the only thing you were interested in was scale um, and scalability. But actually what you've built is a business that's actually got really strong uh, you know, medium-term competitive advantage because you've chosen two or three things to actually really double down on investing with a medium-term to long-term focus. Um, and that is the whole point of strategy. Strategy is medium-term competitive advantage. And folks, this is exactly the kind of stuff that we are teaching in the Scarlet's Roadmap program. And founders like Rowan are exactly the kind of people that you'll find in the Scarlet's Roadmap program. So if you're looking to get yourself around people with his kind of um, open-mindedness and intelligence and willingness to uh to question things and make good decisions those are the kinds of people you should expect to find the scale right back if you want to join us uh, on one of them just jump to scalehq.com.au click on courses register your interest and you'll find all about it but rowan um if people wanted to get in touch with you or follow along uh with the art of smart uh journey to see where you end up in the next three to five years where would you direct them to yeah direct them to our website artofsmart.com.au um you know they can keep a you know check out what we do who we are certainly if they click the little resources section uh they'll get into you know our massive sort of content library so if you've got you know high school students uh primary school students there's loads of free stuff there that you can use i know sean's mentioned that you know his, his son's uh got some homework to do in going through some <laughs> of it um so yep. definitely check it out and then also you know uh, the best thing to do there is uh you know sign up for the email list um you know that way we'll send you know you 
uh, relevant each week, relevant year-level state-specific uh, resources, advice, tips, and guides. And that way you can stay in touch with both what we're doing, but also um, just get ongoing resources to support um, you know, you or your child through their educational journey. Fantastic. Rowan, thank you so much. And folks, if you enjoyed today, then the best thing that you can do is to just click the share button and send this um, episode to someone that you know needs to hear the kind of messages that Rowan's just delivered. So uh, share share away. We'd be uh, very grateful. Thanks very much, Rowan. Really appreciate your time. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Sean. It was great. My pleasure. The team here at Scale HQ hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Now, if you want to achieve scale, but you want to know what's going to hold you back, we can help. Head over to scalehq.com.au forward slash growth score to get your free nine page growth score report. That's going to help you understand where your top three barriers are to scale. And if you'd like, we'll even do a free debrief on the report for you with no obligations or expectations, just lots of value from some CEOs who've scaled to help you on your journey. That's scalehq.com.au forward slash growth score and find out what's holding you back from fulfilling the potential of your business today.